This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 26th of January 2022 at home in Wicklow. And the main focus of the episode this week is pain, (laughs) pain and wound, pain and wound, pain and wounds, and where we locate them, where we store them in our bodies, where they live in our consciousness, and how, if unaddressed, they can exert an excessive amount of power over our over our lives and over our sense of wellness and capability so that is the main focus and i also bring into that conversation the idea of objectivity versus subjectivity and how if we understand better our own subjective experience it can actually enhance our sense of wellness, it can enhance our resilience, and it can take the responsibility of others um, for our, our wellness and our happiness. So it all, it all ties in. That's, um, that's Ruby contributing to this introduction. Thanks for that, Ruby. Okay, I will talk to you real soon. Cheers. Bye. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. Welcome back if you're a return guest. Are you a guest? If you're not here with me, <laughs> welcome back. I welcome the return of your ears. Welcome to this moment in time, this moment in this day, in this week, in this month, in this year, in this lifetime, wherever you find yourself. I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're feeling well. Welcome to the show. Can it be a show if it's a listening experience? It's more of a, it's more of a tell. There's no spectacle. Nothing to see here, folks. Unless you see with your ears. That's a thing, is it? Isn't that a thing? Isn't that the the same way? What? <laughs> I'm going I'm to make an absolute mess of this. Isn't there that thing where people can see sounds? Is that right? That's a thing, isn't it? Yeah, well then that, that, would, that would lend itself well to this. Um, anyway, the spectacle, the spectacle of listening, um, that this is, you are welcome to it. I, I'm feeling a bit fragile myself. (laughs) I don't know if it's an end of winter thing, although I have to say, I'm, again, I've got another extraordinarily lovely January moment here. As I look out the window, I see, uh, a plane flying across the sky with a horizontal jet trail in its wake. The sun is shining, casting those low winter shadows. And it's nice. It's nice. There's a there's a couple of 
really nicely formed cobwebs on the outside of the window and the light is catching them as well so i can't complain about that that's nice and it's um it's nice to see a little bit of sunshine there have been quite a few overcast days of late it just feels like um there's a you know that blanket of gloom that blanket of winter gloom can really just get on top of you a bit so maybe maybe a touch of that um sad syndrome seasonal affective disorder is not what it's called so that kind of deprivation of light and brightness not getting that vitamin d hit generally i would argue i'm not that prone to that but um i had i had a migraine i've had two migraines over the last few days i started getting migraines in the last 18 months or so and um they're not pleasant uh, for any of you out there who have had migraines you can you can clarify for, for me if i'm listing off the symptoms correctly so typically starting with distorted vision uh sort of partial loss of vision in either eye sometimes accompanied by white flashes and then that passes and i experience a sort of a, a low level nausea with that nausea nausea and then the, the the headache comes and it's sort of it's a very spiky sort of headache across the it feels like it's across the brain like um i don't know how to describe it but it's like a band of pain across the brain and that eventually passes as well but then i'm left with a swelling sort of a swollen heavy pain that occasionally throbs and pulses behind usually the opposite eye to the one where the distorted vision was so i've had two of those in quick succession i had one on friday evening and i woke up with one yesterday morning which uh, was most unexpected I, I thought i was giving myself quite a good night's sleep and there it was it's a very um a very disconcerting way to start the day it sort of put me back on my heels a bit uh in any case maybe that's contributing to a certain fragility um a certain uh a certain what <laughs> a certain anxiety or tenderness or vulnerability as i try to orient myself in the in the world at this moment um yeah i was i was looking for a wheat bag a wheat bag a wheat bag that you can heat so the wheat of heat or the heat of wheat one of those little bags you can throw in the microwave heat up for a couple of minutes and then put it on a sore part of your body or just have it as a little um proxy hot water bottle kind of thing anyway i was looking for a red corduroy cushion wheat bag thing and i failed to find it i failed to find it because i sat down here to record and i realized my hands were freezing that was part of the symptoms yesterday as well uh, i couldn't get warm my my 
my hands in particular were really really cold um and again very unusual for me because i generally don't have any issues with circulation uh but anyway i sat down here and i thought no i'd really like something on the the hands and i thought oh that 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 wheat bag would be great that red corduroy wheat bag cords corduroy just gives off a certain vibe doesn't it anyway uh i had a i had a backup plan because i failed to locate the the red corduroy bag and instead and i'm holding it in my hands right now i've got a little a little hey dougie <laughs> soft toy that has a, a wheat bag in it it's one i got for my daughter last year do you know hey dougie he's a dog he's a cartoon dog who looks after these other kids um other young animals and it's it's sort of set up like a a scout camp and each episode they win a badge and hey Dougie's just this big sort of cuddly dog and the animals are there's a, a crocodile and a rhino and a mouse and an octopus and hmm what's the other one there's one more it's really great <laughs> it's a it was a firm favourite of ours um, a few years ago in particular when my daughter was a bit younger. Hey Dougie, he's a good character and the creators, they just kind of, they sort of layer in some very gentle sort of uh, groovy tunes and psychedelia and it's very funny. Um, so well worth checking out if you have um, if you have any interest in that sort of thing. So hey Dougie, I'm holding him in my hands. And Dougie is a great guy and he's keeping my hands warm. And at the end of every episode of Hey Dougie, all the animals go and get a Dougie hug. And they'll go, oh. So that's nice, isn't it? That's nice. That's a, that's, that's a good one. That's well worth checking out. Um, yes. So where where to begin today? I am hovering around the area of objectivity versus subjectivity and i'm also interested in talking about wounds and damage um i suppose i'm not talking about physical wounds physical damage i'm talking more emotional psychological wounds and damage um and yeah where that where those wounds sit where we park them, where we store them, what they what they do to how we hold ourselves. Um, yes, so cheer. I mean, cheerful stuff. Not really cheerful stuff, but I think um, I think central to any bid to be well um, and to live with a sense of wellness. And with a sense of capability, um, has to come a, a resolving of of wound, a resolving of pain, an understanding and a processing and a negotiation of of pain. And until until that's done, I think. Um, those experiences are that part of ourselves 
is inordinately influential and inordinately defining and it's something that can well I, I, I believe it's just something that can really hold us back it's something that can prevent us from being more aligned it's something that can prevent us from feeling more capable of expressing and living our full selves um and you know when i use expressions like that you know to express or live one's full self i'm not i'm not talking about you know being amazing i'm not talking about you know having you know extraordinarily high achieving you know moment to moment uh existences uh in, in fact it's 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 quite the opposite i feel when i talk about that like the way i think about it is it's actually uh a quieting down and uh a sort of a, a, a grounding and a sort of a a stilling if you can hear the way I'm I'm saying that word like bringing one's again I, I mean I hesitate sometimes with the vocabulary with the language because I feel it steers us in the wrong direction but it's a sense of bringing one's power or agency back to a very accessible and controllable place which feels which feels close which feels close to us which feels close to the individual because your agency and your your power if it's far away from you it's not accessible how do you like that one so you want that sense of your potential that sense of your okay power i'll come back to that again um to be something that feels well it's here and i can use it and it's you know it's in me it's part of who i am and i can measure it out as required and i can keep control of it and and more importantly i'm not going to give it away i'm not just going to hand it over to someone else um so when i talk about you know living your full self and expressing your full self it's it's kind of in that territory of personal autonomy in uh in a sort of a in a psychological and emotional sense and yeah of course in a in a in a physical sense as well which um you know this this does you know this does um recall some of the stuff that um i would have touched on last week when discussing 
when discussing um, male violence, uh, the the crisis of masculinity um, and women's fears and, you know, personal agency is, you know, it's in the mix in that conversation. You know, what people feel they are allowed uh, and not allowed to do. Um, yeah. So in any case, this idea then of of damage and of wound, uh, and I'm using it sort of in the in the singular sense as as um, you know, almost like an you know an abstract idea, like it's a it's you know it, it leaves such a, a psychic impression on us, the whatever that wound might be, uh, you know, a, a form of of trauma. Um, some level of trauma, and you know, some level of of damage that has marked us, scarred us, impacted us. Um, and I'm very curious about where that lives, and where we where we locate it. Um, and whether that's, whether that's just something that is, um, you know, is, is, is a memory, which if I think of a memory for me, a memory is a very, you know, it's a very head oriented thing to recall a memory, to, to, to bring back, um, an incident, to bring back an image to bring back uh, the you know the, the 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 personnel involved, to bring back the time of day, to bring back the location, the you know where the incident or incidents took place. That you know that can be you know just the the, the replay of of the movie. That can be the the rewind, um, the pause and the the recall of of that um and maybe a memory well yeah that's a question you know how what sort of power do our our memories have over us and i think i think you can we you know i think it's possible and i think from a therapeutic point of view um you know, if you, if you, you know, when I when I was in therapy, my therapist was a NLP practitioner, so neuro linguistic programming, and fundamentally, that's a way of revisiting memories and reframing them and reconditioning them. So how we respond to them is different, and when we find ourselves in similar situations in the present which become echoes of the past are they become um you know a reliving of the past experience or the past trauma um and therefore become very provocative triggering experiences um nlp offers methods to to restructure those memories so our response is is changed our response is different 
And I certainly found that um, very useful and I've continued to continued to find it useful um, over the years, uh, you know, 20 years on from, you know, that period of my life. Um, you know, when I went, you know, when I, I felt the time was right to seek professional help um, and I was lucky, I suppose I was lucky in that I, I felt very receptive to that suggestion at the time and felt it was going to be, you know, a very useful thing to do and so it proved and I've had no issues whatsoever in my life since. <laughs> um yeah, uh, disclaimer, that is a totally false statement. Um, but in any case, you know, yeah, memory, you know, memory is, we can't just separate it like that, ultimately. Um, you know, without doing, you know, work and being in a controlled environment and maybe with the direction of a professional and being facilitated in a safe place, um, there's a way to to do that, Um but outside a therapeutic space, um, memories, of course, can be can be um, triggering. Memories can be painful, and memories can cause us to respond emotionally, um, and in very extreme ways, of course, um, and. Uh, you know, when I when I used the word painful there a moment ago, I I put a bit of a facetious color on it, and um, I, I take that back because, of course, you know, people who have been through really extreme, um, extreme traumatic experiences, the you know those memories become absolutely defining and debilitating, and uh, certainly are an aspect of. Uh, PTSD, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and the the recall of those memories is is fundamentally, you know, unbearable and yet ever present, and brings with it related uh, related stress of ever present anxiety and um, I, I believe sort of a a conviction that you're not safe and that things are not going to go well and that it's only a matter of time before um, an event is going to, you know, impact you again in an extremely adverse way. Um, and that's at the, that's at the extreme, at the extreme end of the, the spectrum. So again, uh, hearkening back to last week's episode, that would be victims of sexual assault. Um, that would be victims of physical assault. That would be, I mean, typically, I think when we think PTSD, um, many of us, our first thought is to think of people who've been, um, you know, been to war and experienced the, you know, the, that, you know, the, the, the extremity of, of human violence, of, of human carnage and the I guess the the sensory um, assault of what is seen and consumed um, in in war 
um, is, you know, is 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 almost unbearable. That's, um, you know, that's my sense. I mean, I remember writing about this before on the the clearout.com and I wrote a piece and I think my sort of fundamental position was, you know, the the nature of military training is to to dehumanize um you know one aspect of military training is to kind of is to dehumanize soldiers so they're able to do inhumane things and take automatically unthinkingly take the life of an enemy combatant um or anyone who who is perceived to be a legitimate target in terms of the agreed rules of engagement for a conflict zone. And that dehumanizing um, training, which is, which is a form of, I mean, brainwashing, you know, has a very particular connotation but the the i suppose the the conditioning of those those neural pathways the the repetition of certain actions the repetition of responding to certain orders the repetition of reacting to certain scenarios and the conditioning of that human being to become, uh, you know, mechanical in their responses and not emotional in their responses. So they are more effective, uh, more effective killing machines. And again, killing machine, it's, it, I, I, I'm, I hesitated to use that phrase because it's just a bit of a, a cliche. Um, but I suppose a different way to think of it is instead of using that phrase, you could think, you know, soldiers are simply part of, yeah, they're part of the machinery of war. They are components of that machine. And it would be, it would seem really clear that, you know, from as long as we've had the, from as long as we've had the the language and the the psychological frame of reference that soldiers have always come back from war traumatized um and that would be the more typical normal um end product of being at war i think it would be, and I, I certainly haven't done the research, um, but I think it would be very interesting to to study uh, to study soldiers who haven't or who didn't come back from war traumatized, who managed to go through that experience and hold on to their emotional and psychological equilibrium who basically came back in solid psychological shape. I think 
I'd be very curious to know what their resources were that allowed them to to survive and to emerge uh, to emerge relatively intact. I mean, barring you know physical injury or or whatnot. But to to return then to the idea of where we where we locate those wounds that um, that started this uh, this reflection i'm like i'm curious like if you stop there for a moment <laughs> so we come back to my come back to my default position that fundamentally i believe everyone is damaged <laughs> which um i don't know if that's I mean, maybe that's, I, I, I feel like that's a, I don't think that's a very challenging idea. Um, I mean, it depends, I mean, it, there's a huge range, isn't there? Does it, that, that, to say damaged, that could be something pretty minor and innocuous compared to the extreme examples um, I was talking about moments before. But I think to not be damaged or to not be affected Let's put it that way. That's a that's a far less threatening phrase. You know, to not be affected by life or not be impacted by adverse events. So, you know, suddenly I'm I'm questioning, I'm questioning your. You know, are you human? You know, what, you know, are you completely immune to you know the the trials, the slings and arrows, um, as as Shakespeare put it. Um, you know the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune are you immune to that have you not been impacted is you know am I am I a product of you know am I a product of a generation or am I symptomatic my way of thinking is it symptomatic of a generation that had access that has had access to a greater range of emotional and psychological vocabulary that there's a, a frame of reference that opens up doorways and avenues of interrogation and you know self self sort of self exploration um and that then having access to that vocabulary having access to those frames of reference makes one more sensitive makes one more um, attuned to one's essential vulnerability. Um, I mean, that's that's an argument. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not refuting that. I mean, that is an argument because you go back a generation again, which is you know my 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 parents' generation, um, you know the boomer generation, um, and. I think you know there were so many brilliant thinkers in that generation. I mean, this was again you're like you're coming after the likes of you know Freud and Jung, but you're getting um, you know you're getting very interesting thinkers uh, who are advancing the field of psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, psychiatry, psychology, um, and you know dropping in. You know other influences, um, whether that's you know Eastern influences. Um, so 
you know, approaches and understandings being informed by Eastern religions, Eastern spirituality, also approaches informed by um, by sort of the, you know, the zeitgeist counterculture, countercultural uh, explorations of the mind via psychedelics, um, LSD. Uh, I mean, all that sort of thing is in the mix and came from boomers, uh, the, you know, the, the baby boom generation. And yet within that, those people were, you know, were products of an earlier time. So their formative years were, um, you know, parents who were born, um, you know, in the 19, early 1900s, 1910s and 1920s. And that's a very different frame of reference. So when those people, you know, became parents in, you know, whatever, in the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, what were they drawing on, you know, with which to inform, um, you know, an emotional resilience in their children, an emotional and psychological resilience or an emotional and psychological uh you know, sophistication, uh, you know, again, my, my, my feeling is that wasn't really the way people thought. And so it changes, it changes, you know, it changes over time. It changes through generations with every, with every sort of breakthrough or innovation in thinking with every, you know, advance in, um, you know, advance in those fields new you know the lexicon uh, expands the lexicon for you know understanding the human mind for understanding the you know human range of you know emotionality and emotional expression the 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 the, the frame expands for understanding where you know where where life hits us and the you know the the end point for for these times is you have you know you have what we call snowflake culture <laughs> you know snowflakes um which is used in in a sort of a viciously derogatory way to describe young adults who are who are so sensitive so sensitive to the the horrors of the world of reality of modern existence so sensitive to what they see as the perceived um you know injustices uh, that that are all around us that they simply cannot cope and they are as resilient as a snowflake which if you've ever seen a snowflake, <laughs> you take one little snowflake, allow that snowflake to to come to a gentle landing on your hand. And it is pretty much gone almost as soon as it hits your skin. Uh, so in terms of resilience, snowflakes aren't really up there. Um, now, as I as I said, as I conceded, snowflake is used 
in a largely dismissive and patronizing and derogatory way. Um, but, you know, as ever, you know, there, there, there are, I think there are elements of, of truth to, to the negative, the negative frame on that. Um, I feel that there can be a sort of a, you know, a, a loss of perspective and the the frame of reference becomes a little bit too small and focusing on subjective offense and subjective hurt and a subjective sense of injustice and the you know the, the nature of the nature of where we are allowed to present our opinions now uh, in the sort of in the digital age in what the internet you know 2.0 or whatever the hell it is now the nature of where discourse happens means that there's a sort of a and, and you know this connects to the idea of instant gratification so you know, normally when we have, a, you know, when we listen to that phrase or we hear that phrase, in, instant gratification. Sorry, we're thinking about, you know, an appetite being, being satisfied, an appetite being, you know, satiated, you know, instantly, as you know, as quickly as possible, because there's access to that which we want to consume, and there's, you know, there's there's no there's no limit on. Um, you know, there's no there's no time frame that stops that stops the consumer from getting exactly what they want, uh, exactly when they want, and my argument is that in terms of discourse and in terms of expressing an opinion, that you know in the past perhaps you would sit down and compose. Um, a well-phrased letter with the hope that it would be published in your, uh, you know, your your credible newspaper of choice, some well-read uh, broadsheet, and there's there's you know there's a process there that forces one to to stop to to think to also have a bit of a cooling off period. And then there's no guarantee that letter would be published. Um, nowadays, of course, as soon as you have uh, a strong reaction to something, uh, you know, political, social, cultural, you know, whatever it might be, personal, um, you can jump straight on your 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 platform of choice and let that opinion be 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 put out there, and so. I suppose in that situation you're gratifying you're gratifying your need to be heard or you're gratifying your need to to speak you're gratifying your need to uh to participate in the discourse you're gratifying your need to to vent you're gratifying your need to have a go at someone or something and in my opinion, 
the whereas you know the, it's not that there are no benefits to to those um you know to expressing those things but i think what gets lost is is reflection what gets lost is a period of digestion what gets lost is um is a broader more informed contextualizing of that point of view and what gets lost is the the bigger the bigger um the bigger sort of historical social political cultural picture um out of which you know this 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 you know individual moment um is is trying to sort of uh leap to make itself known heard seen um validated and that's i think that's a that 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 is ultimately a huge part of this this need it's you know the instant gratification in this model is for for validation you know validate me validate my opinion um hit me with those likes hit me with those uh, supportive affirming comments that tell me i am right and yeah there's i don't know what's the you know what's what, what what's what's the end game like is this just this is just a you know it's just a way that we we interact at the moment it's just a it's just the nature of how we talk to each other um at this point in time um there's and i mean i spoke about this last week when i was i was trying to kind of tease out the the trickiness of the discourse um that arose uh around uh male violence and around the estrangement and alienation between between the genders which it feels that's um it feels like that's a very real thing it feels like that's a well certainly for for a lot of people um certainly you know for a lot of people who are expressing their their opinions um you know publicly and across social media there there is like i that's how i would see it and maybe this is you know i don't know maybe this is me speaking as a <laughs> speaking as a, a middle child i'm so you know for, for, i was always very wired for 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 conflict and wired for um you know trying to locate the bridge <laughs> trying to locate the the peacemaking bridge it's you know it's it, i think it's it's something i've held on to all these years and my my radar my antenna my nose still goes to that place and there's it just feels like there's a there's a sort of a, a an impasse and an inability to 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 get around whatever the block is so better dialogue can take place um yeah so look i want to leave that i want to leave that point there for the moment because that 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 came from this is yeah this all came from discussing the the levels of increased levels of 
sensitivity and increased levels of, you know, increased levels of emotional intelligence and increased access to a more sophisticated vocabulary and, you know, matrix with which we can understand ourselves. And this connects back then to the the way we think of our damage and the way we think of how wounded we are. And for maybe for some people, they'll go, I don't recognize that language. It doesn't mean anything to me. You know, stop crapping on. <laughs> stop crapping on about your wounds and your damage and your pain and your trauma because I never spoke about that. I just got on with it and I'm okay. And I'm not going to negate that position because, again, it you know, it's sort of, you, you can only work with what you've got. And, you know, humans, you know, who are so endlessly adaptable, that's what that's what we do. We we adapt, we get on with it, whatever hand we've been served, we find a way to survive. We find a way to access what we understand as functionality. Um and that is an extremely subjective term. Um so there will be, of course, people of various stripes and people of different ages and from different backgrounds uh, for whom the language that I like to use is perhaps very much alien uh, territory, alien um, domain, terrain, and just not, it's, it, you know, it, it, not a place, not, you know, not a place they visit not a place they have been to. And perhaps, you know, and, and, and I think this is very, very common, not a place they're interested in going to. And what's that about? Because really, you know, that, that, I think that's a very common uh, or recognisable experience where, you know, life is hard enough, we feel. And so why in God's name would I want to go and put myself in a position where I'm uncomfortable? Why would I want to expose myself? Why would I want to volunteer to be vulnerable? Why would I want to, you know, to, to sort of, you know, excoriate myself, uh, throw myself up on the, the scaffold or the gallows to be hung, drawn and quartered emotionally and psychologically to what end when basically it's okay. I'm doing very well, thank you, without setting as much as a toenail in that space. Um, and this is the thing. This is the thing. We learn, we learn so much about ourselves by stepping into those spaces. We learn so much about ourselves by stepping into the discomfort zone and challenging ourselves in that way. But it's bloody scary. It's terrifying. 
And I think the more extreme our, our, you know, our wound is, the damage, to go back to this language, the more extreme we feel, you know, that impact is or was, the more extreme the, 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 the power of that space or the more extreme the, you know, the, the power of what we've, what we've kind of, you know, stored away neatly in, you know, in, in, in a box, in a vault, in a room, in uh, a wing of ourselves that remains very much locked up and put away um, not to be not to be opened under any circumstances you know the more you know the more powerful that is the the scarier it is to contemplate going to that place and to continue to try to answer this question that I've asked a couple of times now is where is that located? Where do we put it in ourselves? And I, 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 I think this is a very interesting area of, um, you know, of self-possession and of self-management where we have kind of put these areas of pain and how they show themselves in our in our physicality because I, I i i you know i believe you know that is you know that is part of our you know it's part of the sort of the complexity of this organism that we are and it's part of this extraordinarily interdependent interactive symbiotic organism that we are so somewhere in our being we are storing these memories we are storing these experiences um, and we hold them in a certain place it might be in our stomach it might be in our chest it might be in our neck it might be in our back it might be in our legs um you know it, this is this is you know for, for you know this is for you know for you as the listener if you're going to go on this little thought experiment with me you know this is for you to, to you know take that moment and do that you know do that body scan um, you know, like you might see in a in a you know in a, in a in a science fiction movie, where there's basically you know a crisscross matrix of you know a lattice of 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 lasers slowly scanning through the body, making all the appropriate sounds um, until they go ah here it is this is where you locate your pain why why have you put it there what you know you know, what makes us feel that that's the safest place for it? And where, you know, where is, 
you know, and where is that? So, you know, for me, I, I've, I've had the belief, I've had the belief about myself, you know, you know relating to my own, my own, um, my own internal dialogue or narrative um, of, of what I consider the adverse events and elements and experiences in my life um, that I feel that I've sort of located that stored that pain um oh no no I, I have to be careful here if I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna express it correctly let me just let me just recheck that what I feel is I've got right <laughs> bear with me now I've got a strong back right now you go well done you congratulations aren't you lucky with your strong back <laughs> But I have a strong back, but I am slightly, you know, again, slightly rounded across my shoulders. Not, you know, not excessively. I mean, I, I feel it. I'm aware of it. And, you know, some of this is informed by, you know, having a very good awareness of my body shape from, you know, many years of doing sport and martial arts. But my sense is that my back is strong because I've in a sort of a, you know, a psychological, an emotional psychological sense. It's because I've turned my back to bear the brunt of pain. I've turned my back to bear the brunt of emotional and psychological pain. And so my back has had to be strong. Because that's what I've used to protect myself. And I would argue that I'm weak at my front. And emotionally, that's where I feel, uh, where I feel vulnerable. And that's, does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? Um, Because it makes sense to me. And that you know that is you know it's probably you know it's you know it's probably quite an obvious way to understand it but i suppose if i if i if i extrapolate from that if i kind of if i try to unpack that to to sort of support what i've been talking about today for me then the scariest place in terms of facing pain and facing traumatic experiences is to face into them directly, to face into them with openness uh, at my front. And I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very unimaginative thinker. I'm, I'm quite literal in how I think about things. So I'm like, you know, my, you know, my front is, you know, my front is where my heart is. And, you know, I I suppose I can talk about the anatomical heart, but I mean I'm talking about more the the metaphorical the metaphorical heart, and the heart, you know, as being understood to be central to our sense of of positive emotion and openness and the expression of the expression of love, 
um, the expression of appetite for life. And so, you know, for me, in my unimaginative way, I go, well, that's at the front of me. That's at the front of me. You know, it's it's in my chest area. And that's the scariest thing is for me to face forward fearlessly with that exposed. Um, and yeah, so there you go. And so for me, it's like wherever I took those, you know, the wounds in my life of, um, you know, of love that this just didn't work, um, of care that I wanted more from, um, that's where the wound was. Um, and so my idea, and again, I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly original in this, is that I made my back strong because my back, I turned my back then on on the source of the wounds and of the source or sources of the damage. And so my back is strong. Uh, and yeah, all I'm trying to do here, I'm just trying to unpack my own my own thinking on this and I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to walk the walk and be honest and expose myself in, in this way which is you know it's much easier to do when you're just speaking into a, a microphone in a room as you look out the window on a nice uh, on a nice winter's day um so anyway that's that that's kind of I, I don't know if that's the conclusion to that uh, that line of thinking, but I think you know I, I think in, I think I think you know where I'm coming from, and this you know that the area I'm trying to trying to articulate and shed light on um, it is is there. And what I said at the start was, if you know if we struggle or if we can't come to some form of accommodation or resolution um you know or, or the big one you know the, the 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 acceptance of you know of that pain of that wound of that damage if we can't get past that if we remain stuck in the wound and stuck in the the reliving of pain it becomes too defining and holds us back and does not allow us to to thrive and it doesn't allow us to progress uh, in life. It doesn't allow us to progress and sort of get on with who we could be. Um, and at a certain point, the way I think about it is we 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 have to we have to find a way to to truly to truly let go to truly come to that place of acceptance and to um to to no longer allow it to live in such a deeply personal place to no longer allow it to live in in a place of such intense aggrievement um, and a place of, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, you know, it's not for me to say how, you know, how that, how, how you interpret that. If, if, you know, if you're, if you're relating to this on any way and taking a pause to go, hmm, 
yeah, this is how I understood it, you know, or understand it. Um, whether it, you know, it's in the area of rejection, whether it's in the area of of shaming, whether it's in the area of being victimized in some way, in the area of being on the receiving end of anger, um, you know, fundamentally, you know, bringing, bringing, ultimately bringing about the, the, the most natural sort of endpoint is that feeling of, you know, unworthiness, of lacking that sense of, um, you know, lacking the ability to value yourself, to, to really put your, your self-worth in a very solid, um, you know, very solid, independent place. And, um, yeah. And I suppose, the, you know, this, this kind of leads me to the sort of the, you know, the, the end of the, the, the kind of the thinking today. Oh, I want to quickly touch on the idea of, you know, objectivity and subjectivity. And I suppose, you know, this again, that this is not irrelevant to, you know, some of the topics I've raised today and in, in previous episodes. It seems that, you know, a lot of heated discourse around various issues at the moment um, and over the last several years, particularly around identity politics and culture wars um you know, extreme political ideology, um, extreme kind of leftism and rightism. Um, the it seems that we're in thrall to intense subjectivity, and subjectivity rules the day. Um, you know, my opinion, my experience, my feelings, my emotions. Um, you know, my narrative, uh, these, you know, these things are the, the you know, the, 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 the rocket fuel for so much, um, you know, so much apparently validated opinion. Um, and it seems the, the objective view has been kind of cast aside somewhat or, relegated um as being you know uh, you know relegated to a position of having you know less to offer um but if we if we if we bring it back if we bring it back to the individual if we bring it back to the personal and you know f- let's let's you know not forget all of this is meant to connect to an ongoing exploration of of wellness an ongoing attempt to find better equipment to 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 do well in life and to find better resources to 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 live in uh you know in 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 a in a happier frame and again i hesitate i hesitate happy mm, i i hesitate around that word i mean happiness is not the objective as such but i think self-knowledge and self-possession um they are goals worth pursuing um because i believe that the greater our self-knowledge the greater our self-possession 
the the greater our sense of agency, the greater our sense of control, which is something I value, and the greater our ability to to respond in in ways that 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 serve us, you know, that serve us best, and that harm others least. Um, I think I think that's also um, you know a worthy objective but to come back then to this kind of fundamental uh this fundamental proposition that we are objects in the world that's it that's a very simple idea isn't it we are objects in the world there's a tree there are stones there's a car, there's a building, and there is a human. And we're objects. We're just something that exists in this world. And as far as that goes, there is there is nothing exceptional about us. Really, you know, we're 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 just part of the the flora and fauna of planet Earth, um, and that I think there's a there, there's something useful to be explored there, in that we can. You know, on a level, we can sort of, you know, depersonalize ourselves and we can anonymize ourselves and we can remind ourselves that we are merely one of billions of humans that are alive at this moment in time. We are one of billions um, and we are one just like everyone else. We're just trying to, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to, you know, do what we can to stay alive, to stay safe and to enjoy, enjoy life while we can in whatever ways we can. Um, The... The subjective, the subjective is the imposition, the placing on top of this object, uh, a narrative. We take our subjective experience, our subjective view, our subjective recollection, our subjective memory, our subjective voice. And we use this to to weave the, the 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 tapestry of our lives. And as soon as someone else comes into contact with us, that's two subjective realities interacting. But yet again, from the outside. It's just two humans. It's just two objects. 
So it becomes a question of of reality. So objectively, we can say there are two humans there. Now, if you're the other human viewing those two humans, <laughs> now it's subjective. So like we we need, you know, we need the omniscient eye, you know, this this outer space view that goes, oh look, mice, oh look, ants, oh look, elephants, oh look, humans. Um and you know, then you can go, well, hold on, what about the what about the omniscient eye? Is that not also subjective? Uh you can melt your own head if you want, but I'm gonna keep it back with the idea of objective reality and subjective reality. Um and so subjective reality is our perception of self, our perception of events, our emotional and psychological journey. And that is not to be invalidated. I mean, that's, you know, for me, like that's that's where you live. I mean, that's, that's your day-to-day uh, living experience. You bring yourself with you. Wherever you go, you can't detach from that. I mean, you can try and you can do whatever. You can, you know, I don't know, meditation and hypnosis and, you know, the mind-altering substances and see where that takes you to try and remove yourself from that uh, immersion. But that is uh, subjective, subjective reality, not objective Um and so where I'm trying to go with this, if we can kind of keep perspective on that, that can be a very useful, a very useful tool in terms of building our resilience. And it may help us develop greater empathy for other people and particularly greater empathy for those people we feel fail to understand us or for those people we feel have transgressed against us because we can go, well, they're not inside me. They don't know where that behavior is landing. And we can perhaps find an easier avenue via this to forgive to absolve and to create greater distance between us and the you know the, the you know the the antagonists in our lives if you want to put it that way and this again brings me back to you know one of the things i argued earlier that the idea of you know living well and finding that opportunity to live a full expression of yourself to my mind that's not about being being dominant it's not about being in some way ubiquitous and putting your you know enlarging your kind of egoic presence in the world but quite the contrary that you realize you need you need that external approval or external validation much less and that you take ownership of your own experience your own narrative your own points of contact with life 
with the objective world out there. And then at the point of contact, it becomes subjective. And then you can drop your own frame on it and go, this is how I experience it. This is how I feel it. This is how I perceive it, how I think it, how I say it, how I sing it, how I laugh it, how I love it, how I eat it, how I drink it, how I touch it. And we're just present and in tune with our subjectivity and I think there's I think there's power in that I think there's enormous uh, usefulness and presence in that that is a way towards living well and it also it also takes the responsibility off others it takes the responsibility of others to be part of your solution because they're in their own subjective thing and I don't know you've got no control over any of that all you can do is make an offer and hope it's received in a way that that you'd like that's about it just like this bloody podcast <laughs> I'm making an offer and I hope you receive it uh, the way I would like you to receive it, uh, which is in a in a receptive in a receptive way. Receive it in a receiving way, and make of it what you will. Okay, I am going to leave it there today. Uh, I hope that hung together for you. Um, and I don't think it was uh, excessively bleak, even though it was largely in the area of wounds and damage um yeah but you can you can make up your own mind on that one that can be your subjective reality i thought that was terrible that's a reality i'm not going to accept okay you can you can as always you can find me on facebook and instagram and youtube at the clear out podcast you can find me on Twitter at the clear out two. That's the, the digit two, not T double O or T O. So they are social media platforms where you can leave a comment, leave a reaction. You can like this show. You can share it with other people. Um, so yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find links. There's a, a supporter link, uh, where you can make a one-time donation to the show if you want to support it and give me a financial boost. Uh, And thank you to those of you who have done so. Um, And thank you also to my patrons. I have a handful of patrons who use patreon.com forward slash the clear out to make small regular donations to the show, to the here, to the tell. And I am very grateful. I'm very grateful for you listening at all. I'm grateful for any comments you throw up there. Anything you can do to raise the profile of the podcast is much appreciated. Um, so, yeah. So let's uh, let's keep it rocking. You carry on. Move on with your life. Move on with this week. Move on with this moment. Stay safe. Stay well. Mind yourselves. And I will be back real soon. Okay, all the best. Take care. See you. Bye.